a Thurston County football star has been missing for more than a year. Detectives are continuing to search for Investigators him. found the young man's car with his wallet and his cell phone inside. We're not certain that he's dead. We're not certain he's alive. It's what keeps me up at night. Totally out of character for him. Shinobi's family won't give up looking until they get answers. Just desperate to know he's okay. From Sasquatch Productions, this is Hide and Seek. The Investigation of Logan Schindelman. I'm your host, James Basinger. Hey guys. At around 10.30 a.m. on March 2nd in Winlock, Washington, some timber workers came across human remains at their job site. These remains were found off of Robick Road. And just to be clear, the remains of this individual could be anyone. If you're not already following the Hide and Seek Facebook or Instagram accounts, I recommend doing so so that you can stay up to date on the latest news related to the podcast. And if you already are, you probably have seen the article I shared, posted by a Seattle news station breaking the story of finding the remains. Allow me to share with you the news clip Gary Horker from Cairo 7 aired later that night after the discovery. Human remains were discovered in the woods of Lewis County, and that has the attention of families whose relatives have disappeared. There are a number of high-profile missing person cases in this area. And Kyra Sevens Gary Horker is live now in Winlock. So, Gary, it might be terrible for them to just simply wait for answers. Very painful. In fact, some of them are taking answers. I'm standing right now very close to where timber workers found those human remains and the friends and family of this young man. He's a teenager who's been missing since 2016 came by. That's Logan Schindelman. They're hoping that cases of disappearance here uh, and the finding of human remains will leave people hoping a discovery will actually bring some closure. Lewis County investigators won't give us many details describing what timber workers found yesterday in a very remote, densely wooded area near the town of Winlock, but they say workers knew right away they were looking at unidentified human remains. Anytime human remains are found in your area, what goes through your heart? Hope that it could be my mom, or if it's not her, then some other family's getting answers. Samantha Moyer's mother, Nancy Moyer, has been missing since March of 2009. She was last seen around her Tenino home, which is about 25 miles away from where the remains were found. My mom was... First of all, an amazing mom. Now, Moyer's disappearance has gained national attention in the last few years. And when anyone finds human remains anywhere in the area, it raises both hope and heartbreak for her family. There's a hole in my heart. I'm always wishing, wanting to find her. Moyer is one of several missing persons in the Lewis Thurston County area. Logan Schindelman disappeared from the area at age 19 nearly five years ago without a trace. Samantha speaks for the families of other missing persons with the same questions. It would just be amazing. Like Even if she's not alive, uh, even if we find that something horrible happened to her, we we would at least know and we'd be able to mourn her properly because I, I'm not, I haven't done any like vigil or anything and I'm not going to do one until I find her. Now, having covered many of these missing persons cases and finding of human remains in my career, I can tell you it's going to take weeks, sometimes 
close to a year to actually find out the myochondrial DNA and the bones. If it's, uh, if it's actually in bad shape, they can send it to Texas to actually get some answers. So everybody's going to have to have patience in this case. But in the meantime, if you know of any missing person's case, you have clues or anything else with Logan Schindelman, Nancy Moyer, or any other ones, please call 911 immediately and tell what you know and give relief. To the in that clip, You heard Gary interview Sam Moyer, the daughter of Nancy Moyer. I read some of the comments posted on the social media pages asking if the remains found were linked to Logan. I guess the message that I want to get across is this. I know that it can be misleading in the sense that because I shared this post, does it mean that I'm hinting at some information I know regarding the certainty it's Logan or Nancy? The short answer is no. I'm not hinting or trying to mislead you in that direction. The truth is, nothing is certain as of right now. Could there be a possibility this discovery is related to the case? Absolutely. Can we say it is? We don't know yet. The location the remains were found in isn't far from where either one of the victims lived. The Nancy Moyer case is still an ongoing investigation, and I'll continue to cover her disappearance until we get answers for her family and justice is brought to the person responsible. I also feel bringing awareness is a good thing. Even if it's not Logan or Nancy, there's a family who's about to hear the bittersweet news that their loved one has been found. To give you an example of this, we're going to dive into a conversation I had with Wayne Fournier. We were talking about the remains found just as the news was breaking the story. So, tell me what you know. Uh, apparently, ten thirty this morning, some uh, some timber crew was out in Winlock, and they discovered human remains. Okay. Have you heard anything at all with your contacts on who or what sex it is? So I, I spoke to a friend that works in Lewis County law enforcement, and what they have stated is there with me, and, and I it's hard to confirm it, but. The, the rumor is it was a male. Uh, it was it had been the remains had been there for a long time, so the you know dry bones uh, and bones and teeth were found. I don't know how they would determine if it was a male because it's it's pretty hard to do with just dry bones, but it, it can be done. But I mean, it's it, this is all really just happening like as we speak. Are they still on site? There's there's got to be people on site. They're going to be. You know, they're going to be out there scouring the area. Um, you know, it, if they were old bones, they could be scattered, you know, like, as you know, and as, you know, you talked about in the season one, they could be scattered all around. Uh, the an- animals will pick them up and take them around places. And, and so it's, it's, it's really hard. But, you know, the fact that there were teeth found, you know, that that's, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And I know that there was an opinion that they thought it was a male, but did they share any any more on on what their educated guess would be as to why they think it's a male i as soon as i started asking questions uh and the you know my source started asking questions uh it was it was then you know very shortly relayed back they, they've all been told to you know shut the heck up yeah, sure. uh, so they're, they're getting really they're going to be really tight-lipped about this but you know determining sex is hard in bones and it's not going to be done on scene. So, if, you know, if, you know, if they think that they could determine sex, there had to be, you know, I would think there'd be some tissue or something out there. 
because the determined sex with your dry bones, you know, you're looking at like the pelvis, you're looking at like ratios of femurs to torso, and those aren't things done by somebody outside of a crime lab. Right. I guess the only other thought that comes to my mind is, is there clothes that a male would wear? You know, yeah. and you didn't get any information on anything like that, right? No, no. And as soon as, you know, as soon as questions started getting asked, you know, it was quickly shut down. So they're, you know, they're being very careful about this. All right. But we got to keep, we, we should keep prodding. Yeah. Obviously, there's a reason why, I mean, I posted the article today, but but I obviously haven't told everybody what, um, everything I know for reasons I can't share. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, you can you can pull up how many missing persons there are in the area. You shared with me some of the like some of the websites that track yeah. missing persons for Washington State. Yeah, you you've covered two pretty prominent ones. It, it could be either one of them, I would imagine. I'm, I, I've seen a couple of different other individuals list off a few names of people who they might think it is as well. <laughs> but and and these you know these were fairly well out. You know, and it would. You know, you would think it was a place, you know, that somebody was intentionally taken. Right. You know, this isn't like, this isn't just off the road and, you know, somebody just wandered there. This is, this is out in the woods, down logging roads. I, I don't know if you've looked it up, but I, the, the way it was explained to me is like, you know, a body would be dragged and carried there. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never thought it was a one or one man crime. You know, I thought there was multiple individuals that were involved here when it came to get rid of, getting rid of the body. Um, okay. Anything else? Let's take a trip to Winlock. Okay. Early on, after doing some more research, one of my sources was able to confirm the specific area the remains were found. I went straight to my maps to see how far Logan's home was to the remains. I typed in Jenny's home address. I dropped a pin on Robick Road and clicked Create Route. The time it would take is 40 minutes. Keep in mind, when creating the route such as this, you have to consider the time of day when doing so. 12 p.m. versus 3 a.m. is probably going to be different, considering traffic or even construction work being done on the roads. Now, something that I haven't shared with you guys yet is my theory as to when the person or persons responsible for Logan's disappearance disposed of his body if there was foul play. So today, I'm going to share with you guys an interview that I didn't plan on sharing just yet, but considering all things happening today, here's a piece of my conversation with Detective Frawley on January 29th, a month before the remains were found. Um, at 3.43 a.m., it's just on the move all the way down to Grand Mounds area, and then it turns off at 3.50 a.m. When it turns back on, it's now 7.20 a.m. My question I had was, did you guys, have you guys done any kind of search party out in the area for Logan's scent? Yeah. Not to my knowledge, no. Okay. That's a huge, I mean, it's a lot of land. I know that there was a school found there, like, not too long ago. Ginny or Mary was telling me about that. Yeah, that was checked. That that, that wasn't him. Okay. And then we actually found a body out there, too. Um, oh, I had that case. Um, and that was a GI from, uh, um, he was in uh, Fort Hood, Texas and then came back home and he was working at the auto mall here in Olympia and, um, and you know, he had that jacket up in the auto mall and then he shot himself, killed himself. Oh, man. It wasn't Logan either. So that one, yeah, that one we checked out as well. So, and he was black by the way too. 
know what I mean? Oh, he was? Yeah, he was blacking out like, oh, shit, here we go. And, no, one hit, so. So when when they're on their way from at around 3.50 a.m., this is just me and my amateur investigative mindset, but they're probably going somewhere, in my opinion, to get rid of the body. You're not going to mm-hmm. do it in Camas in the middle of the afternoon, in my opinion. Could it be done? Sure. But I think that they're on the road at 3.50 in the morning for a reason. After thoroughly going over every ping on Logan's phone, I strongly believe that the person or persons responsible for Logan's disappearance were on their way to dispose of his body during this trip down south. Remember the pings I discussed from the Selbright episode? Here's why that's important. On the 19th, Thursday night, Logan's phone appears to power on at 8.45pm. All at the same time, his phone connects to the home Wi-Fi and two incoming text messages are received at the exact same time. The text messages are from Jenny and Griffin. The next phone activity is at 10.47 p.m. from the Kick app. The context of this notification is unknown because there doesn't appear to be any kind of text sent with the message to Logan's phone. I'll assume the message from this profile on Kick is sending an image. I've noticed that when the body of the notification is blank, it usually means there's some sort of image attached to the notification. I just haven't been able to see that image. Based on the interactions Logan was having with profiles on the Kick app, they appeared to be primarily spam accounts asking for him to create an account and then sending personal info. Sometimes they even asked for money. When looking over the Celebrite extraction, I've never seen Logan fall for this. But this 10.47 p.m. Kick notification has me wondering if the timestamp of this notification is truly at 10.47 p.m. Because I believe his phone is actually powered off during the time of this notification. What I mean by this is when Logan's phone is powered off and someone sends him a text message, the timestamp of receiving that text message will show on Logan's phone as when the phone is powered on. Only the device that sent the text will show when the time it was really delivered. Here's an example of this. The weekend Logan's phone was inside the car at Baker's Towing Yard, the battery had died, so the phone was off. When powered back on, after charging Monday evening, the phone text log shows him receiving text messages at 5.22pm from Carolina, Ginny, Hannah, and Chloe. So we could see when the four ladies sent their text to Logan, but unfortunately, we don't have that info just yet. Now, at 11.40pm, Logan's phone connects to a cell tower up north from where he lived. Total distance to the ping from his residence, 7.4 miles. Travel time, approximately 15 minutes. The location of the ping has him at the St. Michael Parish School in Olympia. Please remember, cell tower pings aren't exact, and when looking at this ping, you have to assume the accuracy of the ping could be up to a 2-mile radius of where he can actually be. That doesn't mean he can't be closer than the 2 miles, but that's a radius you need to work off of when assuming the accuracy of a cell tower ping. I shared with you before that my belief is that whoever has Logan's phone is powering it on and off. One of my reasons for thinking that is because Logan's phone never pings off of cell towers during this car ride to the school. I don't have any other explanation as to how the phone got up north seven and a half miles away without pinging from a cell tower on its way. Another reason I feel the phone being turned off and on is because the next activity we see from Logan's phone. At 2.35 a.m. early Friday morning, Logan's phone shows an outgoing text message. 
but the text message doesn't show a recipient on the other end. The outgoing text message shows the rap lyrics were previously written earlier on Thursday afternoon at 3.34 p.m. Oh, you think you heavy? Well, I bet. Air is the freshest, weed is the loudest. When looking back on Logan's phone dating all the way back to April 30th, this is the first time the lyrics are written. In my opinion, when the phone is powered on, it appears that the Celebrate Extraction Program reads the drafted text message as a new outgoing message. This could be because the drafted text wasn't sent to anyone but still showing on his phone as a drafted outgoing message, which is why Celebrite documents this activity when the phone is powered on. I see this happen a few times on Logan's phone with other rap lyrics he's written and reappear on later dates. And I'd like to add, the lyrics reappear as an outgoing message at 8.45 p.m. The phone was powered on and connected to the home Wi-Fi, and his phone received at the same time text messages from Ginny and Griffin. Unfortunately, with any outgoing messages, we don't see a ping for that location of his phone. After a 2.35 a.m. outgoing message, we don't see any other activity until his phone pings off of a cell tower at 3.43 a.m. Location of this ping? I'm wondering if he stopped at the stop and somebody got in his car, you know, mm. at the rest stop. Oh. I'm trying to remember because it seems to me that I thought the car was that had just left the rest stop. And I thought it was, or yeah, the rest area. And I thought it was kind of strange that he was sitting on the road. So you, you so. kind of can have some, you, you kind of recall, not 100%, but you recall no. seeing his vehicle at the rest stop at, at the, the same rest time. stop. Yeah, yeah. That was witness number one who called 911 when Logan's car rolled onto I-5. She remembers seeing Logan's car at the rest stop just before his car drifted onto I-5. Well, odd enough, that rest stop is the location of the 3.43 a.m. ping. The phone continues to ping there for a minute. The next ping is three minutes later, 3.47 a.m. The phone appears to be headed south along I-5. The ping is 2.3 miles south of the rest stop. A minute later, the phone pings again and continues to head 1.6 miles south along I-5. Now, something interesting about this ping is that it pings off of the same tower for two minutes. Could mean nothing, but the last ping is at 3.50 a.m., and it doesn't reappear until later that morning at 7.38 a.m. You heard my theory when sharing with Detective Frawley that I believe that the person or persons responsible for Logan's disappearance are getting rid of his body during the 3 a.m. trip. It's hard for me to think that someone who's getting rid of a body is choosing to do so in broad daylight. The risk of being spotted is too high in my opinion. Is it possible? Absolutely. But I don't believe that that's the case for this situation based on Logan's cell phone activity. As for his phone pinging at the rest stop located less than a mile from where his car was abandoned, that doesn't appear to me as a coincidence. Again, this is my theory and opinion, but I doubt that the person responsible for his disappearance is casually driving Logan's vehicle around town in terms of someone who is trying to hide something and keep a low profile. You'd likely only drive Logan's car as little as possible. Because if you think about it, it only takes one witness to see you in the car or a simple traffic violation, such as expired tabs, failing to yield, speeding five over the limit for law enforcement to pull you over, and then, how are you going to explain why you're in Logan's car, with him likely to be reported missing at any moment shortly after that? 
I think the person or persons responsible are dropping off Logan's car at 3.43 a.m. at the rest stop. They proceed south to the location where they decide to bury his body, meaning Logan's body is probably in someone else's vehicle during this commute. So when looking at the area around the timber worksite, I typed in my maps the location of the 3.50 a.m. ping and where the remains were found. During the day, considering traffic, the time it took to go this route is about 26 minutes. I wanted to test my theory and see how long it would take from the rest stop to the location of the remains in the middle of the night. My brother-in-law came along for the ride. Okay, so we're gonna head to, uh, we're gonna go to the rest stop where Logan's car was at. Yep. Let's start from there. Right. If there's truth to the fact that Logan's car would overheat then it would make sense why they would leave the car, but there's also lots of other reasons why you don't want to drive someone's car who you know is going to be considered missing. Starting route to Roebuck Road. In 15 miles, take exit 77 onto State Route 6 West towards Payel. But even when we look at the Google Maps or the, the Apple Maps, Think about back in 2016, how did they know that that was there? Yeah, you got, you got to have a driver, you have to have someone that's dropping off and picking up. Like say at the at the rest stop, it's two minutes. Two minutes is you're dropping a car off, another car is picking you up. You're heading out, right? Like um, when the car goes missing, takes off, I mean, I, I just can't help but think that it was planned for somebody to pick him up would that be drop off the car at the rest stop jump in another car and then they go to they go straight to Robert and take care of the body there's two hours of unaccounted time I'm thinking that the Logan's body is at the time of at 3:50 in the morning or whatever you know when it's 3:43 and they're at the rest stop I think the body's already in someone else's vehicle and they're just dropping Logan's car off you wouldn't transfer the body there. Imagine what somebody would be thinking or feeling going out, knowing that you're going out to dispose of a body. Um, that's an eerie feeling right now. I mean, yeah, let's say even like right now, going out and traveling this road, it's a pretty eerie feeling. And we're not even there yet. Yeah, the more we're out here, the more I'm like, this is not a random, this is not a random place that you would take someone. Yeah, it is dark. <laughs> it is dark back here. You're not really drawing attention on this road. Oh, it's Saturday. You know, Saturday, close to 10 o'clock. With this, you know, with this happening during the week, you know, is is there a possibility now thinking that, oh, maybe the coast is clear. These people could go out and, you know, drive by the site, see what's been done or check it out. Like, are we going to run in it? anybody out here like I know like look at this guy right in front of us yeah you know suspicious it's right. weird right why is he going, like, why are you going 23 20, 20 miles an hour on a 55 right see look at this dude oh my gosh I mean to the left you're going uphill with all this tree and brush to the right you're dropping down but there's just thick brush all right, we're at Pleasant Valley Road, taking a left. Next stop is a Robuck Road. Robuck Road, dead end. 
There it is. That's down that path is where they are. I just feel like mm -hmm. people would be watching this right now, especially, you know? Alright, well that's freaky. Oh shit, there's the... Yeah, if you keep walking, it's right there. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's thick, it's brushed everywhere, it's, I mean, it's everywhere. Holy smokes. You keep going down this path, I'm already see one of the logging tractors. Alright, we're gonna go in. Okay. Alright babe, let me call you back. Oh, I got another flashlight in that glove box. What? Did you hear like a stick over here? Uh -huh. Is that you? A stick? Yeah. You didn't hear that right now? Let's be quick then. No safety. Alright, we're heading down. This is a great place to get back to the What's that? This is a great place to get attacked by a cougar. We walked down the path until we came to the site we believe to have been the same location the remains were found. All I can say about the scenery is that it's dense and full of thick brush. A lot of tree logs laying over the brush. The time it took for us to travel from the Ping at 3.50am to Robick Road was 20 minutes. If the remains of this individual are not Logan, I still believe that the pings are an indicator of transportation. There's a lot of forest areas in Washington you can bury a body. But when putting my timeline together, I have to make sure that Logan's phone is back in Lacey by 7.38 a.m. because that's when the next ping hits. The location of this ping is at the intersection of Chardonnay Drive Southeast and Yelm Highway Southeast. The time it would take to go from Robick Road to the 7.38 a.m. ping would take approximately 45 minutes. If I were to play this theory out, the person with Logan's phone is headed to Robick Road at 3.50 a.m. They arrive at 4.10, but let's give them a 10-minute cushion and say they arrive at 4.20. They need to leave Robick Road by 6.53 in order to be up in Lacey within range of the cell phone to ping where it does. That means the person would have over two and a half hours from the time arriving to Robick Road to get rid of Logan's body. When the news broke that the remains had been found, I spoke with Ginny and Mary about it. The day after they were discovered, Mary was able to speak with the detective from Lewis County who's handling the case. You just got off the let phone me, with the detective from Lewis County? Yeah, but let me try to get my voice. Um, basically, he was very interested. And that's, um, that's unusual. But he was very, very interested. He asked me what size shoe he wore, um, asked me if he had dental records. Um, they, they say they do have uh, some good dental. Yeah. And, uh, um, and I told him it would be um, the sheriff's office here that his dental records were sent in. Um, he asked me, you know, just when he went missing and all that. And then when I finally told him that it was on Facebook and told him about the card and he said oh yeah he, he understood uh, he remembered that and 
So he went to the Facebook page and looked at it, and he said, well, I can't tell you anything uh, until we just know for absolute sure. He said he had a few other calls to make, and I asked if there were any clothes, and he said he couldn't reveal that information. So that's when I told him that we had a couple of um, ideas that he could have been wearing, either a white T-shirt and maybe a windbreaker. A black windbreaker? Yeah. Or yeah. I didn't even say black. I said a windbreaker and definitely jeans and tennis shoes. And I said, and I think they were Nike tennis shoes. And then he said, did he wear any other brand tennis shoes? And I said, I think he did have other brand tennis shoes. I said he was a name brand kind of guy. And I said his hair was longer than appeared in the pictures and he went to the Facebook page and he saw it and I said his teeth were perfect. I said he didn't have any cavities or anything. He had beautiful teeth. Kind of shocked that um, this is the first time I've made calls like this that somebody has asked me so many questions. Usually if I make that call they'll immediately let me know yes or no. If it's older person or whatever but he's i have a feeling that there's a slight possibility that this could possibly be logan and it would be it would be good it would be closure for us but um it's going to be a hard yeah hard thing to go through i definitely don't want this to be what's you know the end result but this is the bridge that we have to cross in order to find the truth and we hold hands and cross it you know right Exactly. We hold hands and cross it. We just go through this together. Right. He said he had talked to a detective. He said he was working with a detective in Thurston County. So I assume that's somebody we know. At this point, we just have to hurry up and wait. Until we know who the remains belong to, we're just going to pick up where we left off from the last episode. Remember how I told you that Jacob had ghosted me and eventually blocked me from Facebook? Well, on February 23rd, four days after the Alibi episode was released, Jacob decided to message me the following on Facebook. Stop trying to blame me for the shit that happened to Logan and leave my family and I alone about it. I've told the people that matter everything I know about what happened. I'm tired of getting phone calls and texts asking me if I know what people are saying about me or commenting on your little podcast. It's really getting old, okay? Clearly, I have nothing to talk to you about, and I have nothing to do with his disappearance, or know any more than what I already told the people that matter. I know there's probably a lot of people pointing the finger, but I'm not the one, and the things I'm hearing about his and mine's relationship is far from being true. And if you could please stop talking about me and keep my name out of your mouth, it would be greatly appreciated. I really wish his family the best, and I hope they find closure and find him. But I had nothing and know no more than what I've already told the people what I know. Thanks. My response to Jacob? Hey man, I'd like to address all the things you just wrote over the phone. Because last time we spoke, you said you were willing, and then you ghosted me. Why? I was up front with you about the things I wanted to talk to you about, and you told me you were willing to help. I want to get to the truth about what happened to Logan. You say you wish his family the best and hope they find closure and him. If that's how you truly feel, then help me. 
help us. Unlike the detective handling Logan's case, I'm spending all day and night focusing on just his case. If you're saying that the relationship between you and Logan isn't anything like what I've been told, then tell me, please. I'm doing this for Logan. I don't have some crooked vendetta towards you. God forbid, what if this was your kid who went missing? Wouldn't you want everyone to come forward and talk? Once I could see that Jacob's status changed to red, I immediately called him. No answer. I called again. Still no answer. Then I sent him the following. Come on, Jake. I tried calling you twice now. It's the least you can do for Logan and his family. You may have info you don't even realize that could help us finding Logan. Jacob replied, I don't know any more than what I've already told everyone. My response? I'm assuming when you say everyone, you're referring to the detectives? Jacob replied, Yeah, the ones that matter to me at least. I played whoever's fucking game it was to request. I did a polygraph test and whatnot. And like I told his aunt and uncle, I had nothing to do with him disappearing. Cut and dry. And don't ever bring my kids up in this like you did. And I would have sat there and listened to what he had to say when he said he needed to talk to someone. I can't stand the fact that I'm still being blamed and fingers pointed at me for something I had absolutely nothing to do with and being made out like I'm some monster going around beating people up and making them disappear. I'm actually quite the opposite kind of person. But I'm not going to keep being harassed and whatnot. You can call me a cold-hearted a heartless bastard, or whatever people want to say about me. I don't care anymore. I know what I do and don't do, or did or didn't, okay? So, later, have a good night and good luck on finding whatever it is you're searching for. But I'm pretty sure if he wanted to be found, he would let someone know, just like how he disappeared. He had some sort of somewhat of a plan or something. Otherwise, why would someone bring some of the stuff he brought with him? My response? Jacob, I don't want to paint a picture that's not accurate. If you want to be mad at me for trying to help a family who's lost a grandson, son, brother, friend, be mad then. I told you the night we spoke that I already knew you took the poly and shared what said. I shared the info so you didn't think I was blindsiding you. If you would have had the convo the next day like you said you were going to, this wouldn't have gotten to where we are. People pointing the finger at you. If you're not the person responsible, I'll be damn sure to make it known. If you can't stand how things are being portrayed, then set the record straight. I'm not in this to shame people. If you're the opposite, as you say you are, then tell your side of the story. Because Chloe isn't making things any easier for you, based on what she said last week. I'm talking to a lot of people who probably had nothing to do with his disappearance. But considering this, us talking only brings us closer to finding out what happened to him. That doesn't mean I'm going to blame you. As for him choosing to leave, I highly doubt that Logan would have chosen to have left and stayed away after Bill and Lillian passed away. But again, I want to drive my point. You just said something I have little information on. The items in the trunk. I have the case file, and I have everything the detectives have documented. You can help the case by sharing. Why is that not something you want to do? Jacob's response... What the fuck do you mean when you say, based on what she said last week? Look man, I've had close friends die within the past week, so I'm not really trying to talk about deaths, disappearances, or anything within those categories. And like I said earlier, I've told the people that matter, in my opinion, what I know about him and why he just disappeared the way he did. And please, 
send me the link to these podcasts you do because I still have yet to watch any of them because I can't seem to find them when trying to search for it online. I tried calling Jacob again. No answer. I sent Jacob the following message. I'm sorry to hear about your friends. I'm not trying to add more shit to your plate. I've been working on this case for almost a year. Detective Frawley and I are in contact. I want you to understand that I'm the person who's spending the time to find out what happened. I'm putting the pieces together and I want to share some things with you over the phone, specifically what Chloe said. I'm airing episodes soon, and honestly, I don't even think you're responsible. But the picture doesn't look good when you say, I'll talk, then you disappear. I've said everything on my pod about Frawley and him thinking you're innocent and how you passed the poly. Jacob read my message but didn't respond. I decided to give him time to process what I had sent. I waited a couple of days and didn't hear anything. On February 26th, I called Jenny and requested she send Jacob a message requesting he speak with me. She said she was willing and sent him a message. Seconds later, Jacob sent me the following. All right, man. I guess you finally asked some of the people I can't say no to to talk to you. But I'm not trying to be recorded and keep it off the record because a TPD detective wants me to talk to him as well. But he said it's nothing to do with this case and he had no clue about this case. So if we can't keep it off the record and not record anything, I'll talk to you. But don't know what I know about all this is going to help. But I'm getting tired of being asked every day to talk to you. So I'm pretty much free whenever. So whatever works best for you, I guess. Jacob and I got on the phone, and here's how it went. We started our conversation by me sharing with him that I wasn't here to grill him or accuse him of murder, but I had questions about his time while living at Ginny's. I continued on by asking Jacob to reconsider by going on the record with me. I explained that his testimony would carry more weight by him answering some questions. I personally wanted him to go on the record because of his inconsistencies in his testimony and I didn't want our conversation to turn into a situation where I'm being accused of adding or changing his words. I asked Jacob why he didn't want to go on the record. He couldn't explain a reason. He just continued to say that he didn't care about what others thought of him. I countered his statement by saying that he probably didn't care about what everyone who was listening to the podcast are saying, but those close to him, he does. I explained how he obviously cared about Ginny, otherwise he wouldn't have been on the phone with me in the first place. Jacob decided to end the call. Our call lasted seven minutes. I called Jacob back. He declined. I messaged him, dude. I called again. No answer. I messaged him, fuck it. Let's not record then. No response. I called again. No answer. I messaged him, don't be on the record then. Answer the call. I called two more times. Nothing. I stopped calling and messaging him. Over a week had passed, and it was March 5th. The episode Quicksand was about to be released. I saw Jacob was online. I sent him a message. Still don't want to talk? Nothing. I feel it's pointless for me to make any more attempts to speak with Jacob. If he wants to talk, he has my number. Not long after Quicksand was released, I was told by an individual that I should speak with the mother of Jacob's kids because... Apparently, she had a weird interaction with him not long after Logan's disappearance. Going forward, we're going to refer to her as Bethany. Here's what Bethany had to say. After Jacob moved out of Ginny's residence, 
he moved in with a roommate by the name of Alex. Jacob requested to see the kids, so Bethany brought the kids over so Jacob could see them. Bethany left the apartment to go run some errands while Jacob spent time with his kids. Bethany shared with me that it wasn't long after she left that Alex, Jacob's roommate, called her. He explained that Jacob was in the bathroom using drugs and thought that she should know. Bethany went straight back to the apartment. When she got there, Bethany said Jacob was still in the bathroom when she arrived and confronted him. She said he appeared to be embarrassed. Bethany also said Jacob told her that he was dealing with a lot and had been stressing over some things. Apparently, Jacob mentioned how he was being questioned about Chloe's brother's disappearance. Bethany told me that she's rarely, if ever, seen Jacob cry. So when she responded to his comment about being questioned by the detectives about Logan's disappearance, she asked him if he knew anything about it or if he was involved. He began to break down and cry. Not just a few tears, but as Bethany puts it, he started to snot cry. It was really weird. Based on Jacob's emotional response, her words for him were, I don't feel bad for you because you look guilty as hell. That was the end of their conversation, and she left with her kids. I've continued reaching out to people who Jacob was in contact with during that period of time. Many of them are still trying to find the time to speak with me, and I'll update you guys as I move forward. One person I followed up with was Sasha. Remember how she mentioned working off-site with Stephen and how he requested she come along? Jacob and Jory were a part of this trip. Remember she said she felt like a real construction worker because she had to wear a hard hat and ate lunch from a taco truck? Thank you, Sasha, for posting as much as you do. Sasha posted. On April 13th, 2016, Sasha posted a picture of the taco truck and wrote, eating lunch out of a taco truck like a real construction worker. So, could this be the job Jacob, Jory, and Steven were referring to? I requested a colleague of Sasha's to check the time cards dating back to 2016. The individual said the oldest time cards he could find were two years old. So there's not much to go off of with that. But Sasha did also say that having an out-of-town work project was pretty rare. So it very well could be that the April 13th post is referring to the same job Jacob, Jory, and Steven told Detective Beal about. Now, I tried getting a hold of Jory, but heard he was in prison. I looked him up and sent him the following email. Hey, Jory. Hope all is well, man. We've never met or spoken before, but I wanted to see if there was a chance you can call me on my cell. I did see that there was issues with the facility phones. Hopefully, they're back up and running. Give me a call if you can. All the best. James. Jory replied, How is it you know me if we haven't ever spoken or met? I wrote Jory back. Hey Jory, hope all is well. Long story short, I'm working on a missing person case and given support by Thurston County Sheriff's Office. The current detective handling Logan Schindelman's case is Detective Frawley. Frawley and Thurston County shared the case file with me. When reading over the notes from the first detective, Detective Beale, his notes state that he spoke with you and Stephen about a former colleague, Jacob. I was hoping we could speak over the phone about the case. Full transparency? I know Jacob wasn't actually at work. He told Detective Frawley that he was at the river with Chloe, Jacob's ex-girlfriend, and lied about the hours he claimed to be working. I want to share some other things with you about the case that I feel you can help with. Any help you give could go a long way. I saw the work roster at Pacific Wall Systems for the week in question. I also saw you only work Monday, four hours, and Wednesday, eight hours, but nothing on Tuesday, Thursday, or Friday. Please, Jory, can you call me? 
I would greatly appreciate any time you're willing to share. Jory replied, I'm sorry, but I don't talk to people I don't know. So if I gave a statement already, then that's all I can help you with. I made one last attempt by sending Jory an email. I explained everything that I've already shared with you guys, but I haven't heard back from Jory since. Now, I'm still in the process of speaking with Steven. He is willing to talk with me. But there's someone I've been trying to track down for almost a year now. Someone from episode one that I've been wanting to contact. Now, see, I've heard that there's people that saw a guy get out of the car. I have one uh, guy who said who says that. Yeah, there's nobody in that car. Really? I mean, and we were right there. We were the first vehicle to almost get hit by it. Well, I finally found him. I don't... The one person who said they saw someone flee Logan's car can confirm what they saw. Here's Carlos Cerrone. Hey, Carlos, how are you? Good, man. Long time don't hear from you. <laughs> like, like, can I say like four or five years, I think, no? Yeah, it's almost almost five years in uh, May. I say you done already what you're doing over there? No, we're, well, we're still working on the investigation for the kid who went missing for the case. Uh-huh. He never Nope, never found him. Shit. So we're still looking for him, and I've been I've been working on this case for almost a year now, and I've been mm-hmm. trying to get a hold of you. You're a hard man to find. <laughs> uh, I, I used to be a truck driver, and then I, I, you know, I get that process here with my wife and all that kind of stuff, and, and finally I used to start doing like full service. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Good for you. It took me a second to realize that Carlos thought I was Detective Beale. I had to explain to him who I was and what I was doing. I've been working on this case. Uh-huh. And I wanted to go over what you remember that day and kind of go over it step by step. Is that okay with you? Um, yes, that's not a problem. I was driving, I remember. I was driving my truck. And then I see the traffic stop on my left side. And then I see a guy, he jumped from, he, the car was, the car was from the, from the right side, from the right line, he start along basically from, to the left side, to the, to the division from the, from the, from the freeway, no? Yeah. And, and the guy, he just jumped, the skinny, the skinny guy, uh, he jumped to to the trees, to the, to the forest. That's it. That's the only I see from him. Was white. I know it was white. And a skinny one. I think I sent it to you picture from my son teacher. He looked almost like that. Okay. So that's it. That's that's the only I know. And then I called nine one one because I saw the car was driving along. I don't know what happened. I don't remember to be. Okay. So, I think it was, was, was like a like a black car, no? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the only, you know, the brown, I don't know if it was Mustang or what kind of car. To be honest with you, I don't remember. Long time ago. Right, right, right. So let me let me ask you this, Carlos. Uh-huh. When you were driving north mm-hmm. and you saw the vehicle, was it on the far right side, like pulled over to the side where you park? Or- no, no, no. Uh, the car started driving along basically from the right 
right to the left. And when the guy jumped out of the car, was the vehicle in the lanes what? already, or was it? Yeah, it's already moving. It's already moving almost in the middle. In That's... the middle of the two lines. You remember, you know, I-5 South, I think that place is only two or three lines. I remember something like that. Three lines. Like a long time, I, three lines, no, yeah. It was in the middle, in the, in the first, second lines. In that moment, the car. And that's when the guy jumps out? I think in the middle of both. In the first and second one. Do you remember seeing any other cars around when... when? Uh, was handed the cars behind, to be honest, because he stopped, he stopped the traffic with that car. That, that's it. It is, and it's impossible for me to give it to you any description about that car. About, about the other cars, I'm sorry. Because it's, it's, it's more cars, but I never put attention. You know, I'm just curious. I just turn my left, I see what happened. Mm -hmm. But what's, what for me was suspicious, he just jumped and he jumped to the, to the forest. So I think something was wrong there. That's it. That's why I called 911. Okay. It's, it's, it's for, let me tell you this. I always, if I see something, accidents, stuff like that, I always call the 911 and I made a report. Okay, yeah. they say, I can see this, one car is stuck. I always, I am like that. It's true. In 2011, Carlos was driving his semi when he helped a 26-year-old male who had just wrecked his vehicle and nearly drowned in freezing water. The man he helped was Colin Hubber. Colin wrote an article about his interaction with Carlos. A Sacramento man named Carlos Ron stopped his semi-truck. I ran toward him, screaming. Please help me. Call 911. I had to get somewhere warm. Without explaining a thing, I ran straight into Carlos's cab. Once inside, I stripped off all of my frozen clothes down to my underwear. Carlos jumped in the cab shortly after, turned the heat on full blast, and called 911. I had to speak. His English isn't the best. As we waited for the police, Carlos warmed bottles of water in his microwave and gave them to me to hold. It was ingenious. I owe Carlos my life for that. Out of everybody who passed, Carlos delayed his truck route and stopped. I'm still in contact with Carlos, and our family will be sending the Cerrone family another Christmas gift this year as a thank you. Today, Colin now works for the NFL. Another example of Carlos's character was a year after Logan had gone missing. Later, in 2017, Carlos was again driving his truck when he stopped to help traffic that was backed up due to severe weather conditions. Carlos and I had a great conversation. He's a good guy. Yeah, unfortunately with this one, someone went missing and it's a good thing that you called because you're, 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 you're 100% Carlos that you saw someone leave the vehicle. Yes, yes, 100%. This is no 100%. And the was the driver's side door already open? Was it? Was it? I think was, it's, it's already it's already open because the other guy was. That, no, 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 no. Let me see. Las puertas están abiertas o no están. No, no. Ya estoy hablando. Ya estoy viendo. You know what? This guy, I think he, like I say, I had all time in nineties. You know, I don't remember completely hundred percent everything, but I think he just jumped from the. Passengers, I, I, I don't remember what well from the driver or passengers, I, it's hard to tell you that at this point. It, when I just contact you, when I just speak with you, 
I remember exactly what door was open. At this point, I don't remember. Yeah. I know what door was. He opened a door and he jumped. That's it. Okay. He jumped to the forest. Okay. It's a long time. Yeah. So let me let me read you what you what you had shared. You said uh, okay. you saw the vehicle on the shoulder of the freeway, and then um, saw the driver's side door of the vehicle open. You explained the person in the driver's seat moved to the passenger seat and exited out the passenger door. The person closed the door, then jumped into the woods and ran away. Exactly. Okay. That's, that's, uh-huh. Exactly. Remember now. Okay, now, now I remember the part. I, I think I confirmed the same thing with you now, now but uh, that's it. That's the only remember. I never stop. I never. I just keep going, you know, because I was driving a big truck. Yeah. I can't stop the traffic, plus the traffic was stuck. Okay. Do you remember what, what clothes he was wearing? I don't remember if it was a black uh, black uh, uh, you passed by the vehicle had it already hit the barrier in the middle or was it still crossing traffic nah, he just, I think the car in the moment is stopped in the middle I think in the moment did you see anything and in the car when you passed by I don't see, no I don't see anything else no 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 I don't see anything no I don't see anything okay it's hard no yeah very 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 hard and then the guy who was leaving the vehicle was he what color of skin did he do? Do you remember him having? Nah, it's a white, I think. A white guy. Yeah. Was he wearing a hat? No hat, beanie, sweater. Uh, I don't remember. Um, what's your name? My name is James. James, uh, Mr. James. I don't remember to be honest. Okay. It's a long time. I think the best info you have from me is what you already what is what already you got there. If you read me everything, basically I want you to remember everything. But this point, it's hard for me to, yeah. to say yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I get surprised right now when I saw you, you text. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you still looking for me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. When you saw the guy leave the vehicle, do you remember how like was he? Did it look like he was running fast? Does it look like he was like kind of jogging, walking? Did it look like he was carrying anything with him? If you can guess, how tall do you think he was? Uh, like uh, around like six foot. And then how much do you think he weighed? Uh, maybe like Do you remember a color of hair? Mm, no, I don't. I don't remember. 
I don't remember. Okay. At this moment, I don't remember. And the moment where I told you, yes, yeah. exactly the description I give it to you. Gosh, okay. And it was only one person that you saw. <laughs> Can you believe that? I just only me. <laughs> Nobody else. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, that's why a lot of people, they don't make any phone call to the, to the 911 because they feel it like this. But to be honest, I don't, uh, if I something I can cooperate, it's no problem for me because I was working, I was driving. Right. That's it. You know, yeah. I was in the other side of the freeway, moving in motion, basically, when this guy would just jump and run away. That's yeah. it. I never shared with the individuals who called 911 what they said until they shared what they remember. I didn't want to influence their testimony with me. So now, you've heard from all three witnesses. Based on what I heard from Carlos, he says 100% he saw a skinny white male around 6 foot quickly run into the woods. If this isn't confirmation that it wasn't Logan running from his vehicle, I don't know what is. Next time on Hide and Seek. You have a prepaid call. You will not be charged for this call. This call is from... Jonathan. An inmate at Monroe Correctional Complex. This call will be recorded and monitored. If you wish to block any future calls of this nature, dial 7 now. To accept this call, press 5 now. Hey. Yeah. Um... The other question I had was, do you know who Diana Garlock is? Why do you ask that? That's really weird. Why? Why do you ask that? Well, why is that weird? Uh, I'm, I, now I have to just really, I gotta, I gotta know why you wanna know that. Know that. Why do you want to know that?